What's happening guys, Sam Adams here and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for August the 9th of 2019. Of course, as always, I hope this one finds you well and for those that are brand new to the show, this is a daily gaming news podcast that brings you the hottest gaming news that you need to know five days a week, Monday through Friday, live on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams. Then the show is taken down and put up on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media as well as podcast services around the world if you did want to catch it in the audio format. Now, I will say today we are going to be covering a lot of first-person shooter news. We have Call of Duty 2020 details reportedly leaked, including stuff about the campaign, which sounds like something I am definitely going to be interested in. Then we talk about this year's Call of Duty, because apparently a Battle Royale mode could be coming soon after launch. Then we talk about Destiny 2 with a Steam release date and cross-save details that kind of give you an idea of what to expect over the next few weeks as we do inch closer and closer to that final tear away from Activision and completely embracing the freedom of self-publication over there at Bungie. Then Discord is going to go live, or at least going to allow you to go live with your closest friends sharing your gameplay with up to 10 different people. No Man's Sky Beyond is going to add a ton of new features, but among these is 32 player support, powered bases, cooking, and alien milking. Just in case you did want to milk an alien, we will talk more about the biggest update coming to No Man's Sky very, very soon. And finally, Ty the Tasmanian Tiger has been fully funded on Kickstarter to come to the Nintendo Switch, of course, a cult classic, if you will, for people that grew up in the early 2000s. We will talk more about that to end out today's show. But again, if you are brand new to the program, I do hope you enjoy what I bring to the table. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's top gaming news. First off, a new Call of Duty 2020 leak reportedly shares details about the campaign, which is set to span over 40 years. According to some rumors, Call of Duty 2020 will take place during the entirety of the Cold War and will feature both Vietnam and Korean Wars as well. Back in May, it was reported that in an unprecedented move, Treyarch had taken over development of next year's Call of Duty title from Sledgehammer Games and Raven Software, and that it would become Black Ops 5. Now, some new information about the title has reportedly been leaked, and it seems pretty much right in line with what was previously revealed. Like the Modern Warfare Battle Royale rumor from earlier today, which we will talk about here more in just a moment on the podcast. This leak comes from YouTuber Long Sensation, who says that not only is Call of Duty Black Ops 5 a title that is being passed around the studio, it's also being simply referred to as Call of Duty Black Ops, which seems to imply a reboot of the series. Personally, I don't know how I feel about this, the author says. While Modern Warfare did something similar to this, at least there was some variety between 2007's and 2019's titles with the lack of numbers between the two. Here, it's just a straight copy and paste of names. In addition, Long Sensation also said that the game will take place across 40 plus years and will feature both the Korean and Vietnam Wars, with the Cold War being the obvious underlying theme, and that the studio is aiming for the game to be more gritty than this year's Modern Warfare. Of course, we don't know anything official and probably won't until next year. According to the original leak back in May, Sledgehammer Games and Raven were working on the game for quite some time before being taken off the project and having most of the development assets and subsequent pressure being pushed onto Treyarch so that they can try and get the title out by next year's release window. 
Call of Duty 2020 is set to be released on both current-gen and next-gen consoles sometime next year, more than likely between October and November of 2020. And so, of course, this is news that comes well before we even see the release of 2019's Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which is basically a soft reboot of the classic Modern Warfare franchise that began in 2007 and continued with Modern Warfare 2 in 2009 and Modern Warfare 3 in 2011 before being put on hiatus in exchange for stuff like Call of Duty Ghost advanced warfare, etc., etc. So, what do we have here? Well, we have what appears to be pretty much plans for next year's Call of Duty, which all kind of adds up to me. Uh, personally, I do believe next year's Call of Duty is going to be simply called Call of Duty Black Ops. It doesn't make sense to continue on making Black Ops 4, 5, 6, 7, etc. At some point, you have to call it quits and kind of reboot the entire thing or come up with something brand new, which would probably be preferable at this point. Uh, but there is still so much left to be explored in this specific era between Korea and Vietnam and the entire Cold War era of the uh, late 1900s. It just simply works. Uh, and it's something that I think should definitely be taken advantage of here. Because I would love to see more of the stories that are able to be told. The war stories uh, that are happening on the battlefield during this specific time period are left largely unexplored in the Call of Duty genre, or at least the Call of Duty franchise. Excuse me. And so for Treyarch to dive back in and check out over 40 years of what's going on in this specific time period, I think is a fantastic move and one that certainly warrants development of a brand new game. Should they call it Black Ops, though? That's the big question. In my opinion, right now, Call of Duty is at a very strange point because it is trying, quite frankly, to continue to outdo the previous year's numbers year after year after year. This year's Call of Duty is going to sell like hotcakes because it is a reboot of Modern Warfare, a name that is already familiar with the existing fan base. So if next year's Call of Duty comes out and it's something that is completely and totally new, unheard of, etc., maybe not even including the name Call of Duty in the main title, you could be seeing lower numbers quite simply because people don't know what the game itself actually is. People aren't used to seeing this specific name like they are with Black Ops, with Modern Warfare, etc., which is why longer running franchises do tend to sell better most of the time. So with all that being taken into account, what can we expect for next year's Call of Duty? Again, if this leak is to be believed, a campaign that spans over 40 years and of course is called Call of Duty Black Ops or maybe even Call of Duty Black Ops 5, again, if the leak is to be believed. But I suppose we will have to wait and see if any of this is confirmed. Again, this is coming to us from DualShockers, which of course they have their own sources if you did want to dive in. And as always, in the YouTube version of the show, I have linked all of my sources down below for you to check out and give the rundown in case you did want to see if I was reporting on something that is inaccurate or could be nothing more than a big rumor, of which this one currently is. But it very well could be a legitimate big rumor, which happened. Now, moving on to talk about this year's Call of Duty, because it's coming out much sooner than that one. This year's Call of Duty Modern Warfare will get a free-to-play Battle Royale mode after launch, according to a rumor that is circulating around the industry. Will Call of Duty Modern Warfare have a Battle Royale mode? Many multiplayer modes have been confirmed for Infinity War's latest entry in the series, including Ground War, which apparently supports 100 players. But Battle Royale is not among the announced lineup. However, rumor has it that the popular mode will be coming to the game, and what's more, it will be free to play. This got started with Twitter user and Call of Duty YouTuber Long Sensation, as of course we cited in the previous article that we just finished. They outlined the title of the game 
excuse me, they outed the title of the game before its official announcement, so there is a possibility they may have some inside knowledge. Still have your pinches of salt at the ready to go along with this rumor. What makes this slightly more believable is that our director Joel Emsley's response when asked by Game Informer if Battle Royale would be in the game. After a long pause, Emsley says, we will have to wait and see. When you consider the aforementioned ground war mode supposedly enables 100 player fights, it seems the tech is already there. So what exactly do you think? Will Call of Duty Modern Warfare receive a free to play battle royale mode post launch? I think that would be the best decision that the team could possibly make. And I will tell you why right now. So whenever you're talking about Call of Duty Black Ops 4, the current most recent Call of Duty out on the market today, there was a huge opportunity to capitalize on the Battle Royale mode, which of course, Blackout, is included in Black Ops 4. It's not a bad version of the Battle Royale genre, if you will. It's a fantastic mode if you get really good at the game. I enjoyed it. The map layout was fun because it did incorporate uh, maps from the Black Ops history, and I loved that element of the game itself. However, what held Blackout back from being the biggest game on the market is the fact that yes, the mechanics were a bit thrown together at the last minute, but on top of that, there was this entry fee where you had to play, or excuse me, pay somewhere between $30 and $60, depending on when you bought the game, to get in and play the game itself, where you have Fortnite, which is of course a free-to-play game. And then you have PUBG, which has been out on the market for quite some time, usually hovering around somewhere between $15 and $30 depending on when you buy the game. And so this massive entry fee to get into the world of Blackout definitely held a lot of people back and ultimately hindered the entire game from being the game that it could have been. So if you launch a Battle Royale mode in Modern Warfare, a game that already has a ton of momentum behind it, and you launch it as a standalone free-to-play mode, that would be incredibly enticing for a lot of people that want to see how the game itself feels, that are only into Battle Royale, and then of course you can fill it with microtransactions, loot boxes, whatever you want, and make your money back tenfold in a matter of days. That's exactly how that's going to work if they do choose to do it in that specific format. Now, I will say I'm not a big fan of microtransactions. I'm not a big fan of loot boxes. We've talked about this specifically on yesterday's episode of the show, if you do want to go back and give that one a look. But I will say, without a doubt, if a game is released for free, concessions have to be made as to what you expect from the monetization model in the game. If you are playing something for free, Simply put, there has to be some way for the developer, the publisher, to make money, and that's exactly how they are going to do that, by charging you for cosmetic skins, by charging you for whatever they can possibly get away with charging you for, within reason. So, will Modern Warfare be getting a free-to-play Battle Royale mode? I certainly hope so, because I would be playing the absolute shiznit out of that, because man, does that look like a fun time to me. I do love me some Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and I will say this year's game looks like it plays differently than any Call of Duty that has come before, and that's what all the pros are saying, that's what the streamers are saying that have gone out to Infinity Ward and given the game a rundown. This year we are in for quite a treat that is unlike anything we have seen in Call of Duty before, and I would love to see that free-to-play Battle Royale mode. However, maybe you are more into the Destiny 2 side of things, the looter shooter, if you will. Bungie has revealed when the changes are going to be coming to Destiny 2, which includes stuff like the Steam date and the cross-save details. It's also teased a bunch of new modes coming, and of course mods as well, for the Armor 2.0 system. Can you guess what they are? I certainly can because I'm not that into Destiny, but man, do I love watching some of that sweet, sweet gameplay. 
Back in June, Bungie announced that Destiny 2 would be going free-to-play, getting cross-save, and maybe biggest of all, moving from Battle.net to Steam. Today, it detailed when that will happen and what you will need to do to get ready for it. Destiny 2 will arrive on Steam on October the 1st, which is the same day that Shadowkeep and New Light, the free-to-play version, will launch. Existing players can sign up to transfer their accounts, which include all owned content, expansions, passes, silver, the works, beginning on August the 20th, and you will definitely want to do that if you want to keep playing Destiny 2 anyway, because if you don't move it, it sounds like you will lose it. Unfortunately, Destiny will no longer be available on Blizzard's Battle.net after October the 1st, Bungie wrote in the PC Move update. We hope you will follow us to our new home to continue our journey. It just wouldn't be the same without you. Assuming all goes well, the day after Destiny 2 account transfer signups begin, August the 21st, we'll also see the launch of CrossSave, which will enable players to use a single Destiny 2 account across all platforms, PC, PS4, Xbox One, and when it launches, even Google Stadia. There are some limitations as detailed in the FAQ, and if you already have separate accounts on different platforms, you'll just select just one as your active account, and all previous in-game purchases will remain on the platform where they were made. These include games or balances of silver. Cross saves enable you to access the Guardians and collections on one active account from wherever you play, Bungie explained in a separate post. The things that you acquire for your characters in the game are what move with you from one platform to another. If you happen to be in multiple Destiny clans, you will also have to give up all but one of those for your active account. Because this is cross save, not cross play, you will only be able to play with clanmates on the same platform, but clan objective progress will follow you between them. And if you decide that this whole cross-save business is for the birds, you can disable it and go back to your old characters on their individual platforms. If you do that, however, you will have to wait 90 days to re-enable cross-save to discourage activity like recent encounter recoveries by other players. Bungie also laid out a rough schedule for pre-Shadowkeep events and info drops in the regular This Week at Bungie update and teased an armor customization preview livestream coming next week with an animated image revealing a pile of new mods coming in the Armor 2.0 system. The catch is that you are actually just icons for the mods, or these are just icons for the mods, and that is where you come in. What do you think the new ones might be? And of course, you can check out the entire live streaming uh, promotional photo right here and see if you know what any of these are. Personally, I don't. Again, never been big into Destiny as far as playing the actual game goes, but boy, do I love watching Bungie's little game that could. And so we have a continuation of the redemption of Destiny 2 because, man, this game just continues to get better and better and better, especially since, of course, Bungie is completely and totally independent at this point and bringing Destiny 2 not only to Google Stadia, uh, but also enabling tons of stuff that fans have been wanting for such a long time. Of course, bringing New Light, a free-to-play version of the game, to fans is a fantastic move to get people in the door. And on top of that, Shadowkeep looks to be the biggest update to the game yet very exciting times for those that are fans of Bungie and for fans of Destiny 2. Uh, but again, you have tons of information here to break down with the Steam release date, with the cross save, and of course we went over all of that just now. But again, to give you the highlights, coming to Steam on October the 1st, then cross save starting on October the 20th. If you do want to actually transfer your account, then 21st, excuse me, cross save going to be kicking off. So essentially, over the next few weeks, you are going to be having a lot to do in the world of Destiny 2. I was thinking of something else to 
rhyme with the ooh there at the end, but nothing came to mind. Uh, so if you do want to dive into Destiny, of course, the game has been given away for free uh, multiple times on pretty much every platform. I know I have it on PS4. It was given away as part of a promotion with PlayStation Plus. Uh, then I have it on the Battle.net, if you will. And then, of course, that's being transferred over to Steam. And then if you have it on Xbox, get ready because here it comes. You are going to be able to do whatever you want with the game that just keeps on keeping on. And of course, the big question here is, what's the end goal with Destiny? What do they want Destiny to be? And to be quite frank with you, I think they are trying to make Destiny 2 what it should have been all along, and that's basically Warframe. Uh, Warframe is a game that, of course, has been free-to-play since day one, has tons of people around the world. Tenocon is an event uh, centered around Warframe. So many people love that free-to-play game, which, of course, has been closely associated with Destiny 2. In my mind, it's always been the game that people go to when the servers are down on on the Destiny side of things, people switch over to Warframe, and then yada 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 go back and forth. Now with that being said, Destiny 2 is a very enticing game that could very well support the exact same kind of model if the changes are made that need to be made, and it looks like they are definitely on the way. So again, if you do want to dive into D2, right now is the time, or at least coming up is certainly a pretty good time to dive in, specifically on October the 1st, whenever these new versions of the game are coming out. Tons to do. And of course, if you enjoy it, you could show off your gameplay to your friends. You could stream on Twitch. You could stream on Mixer. You could stream on Facebook. You could stream on YouTube. But now, you could stream on Discord because the new Go Live feature will let users stream games up to 10 friends. If you do have that many friends. Uh, but the feature will launch on August the 15th, just a few days away. Discord's newest feature called Go Live is something like a middle ground between live streaming to the entire internet and playing a game with your friends on the couch. The new feature, which Discord announced on Friday morning, will allow users to stream their gameplay directly to friends using the Discord client. The feature is set to roll out on August the 15th. Go Live is an extension of Discord's current screen sharing feature, which is available as part of the service's private voice calls. Unlike the private call version, however, Go Live will require game detection to activate, and this means that rather than simply sharing screens, users can only broadcast to viewers while running a game, and only the game will be shown to viewers. Go Live broadcast will only be available to users currently in the same Discord voice channel as the stream's host. Each Discord Go Live stream can host up to 10 people, including the streamer themselves. There is no limit on how many people can be live in each Discord server, but only one person can use Go Live per voice channel. Discord Go Live can be activated or deactivated at any time, either through Discord's desktop app or while playing a game directly in the in-game overlay. The streams themselves will automatically be broadcast to viewers at 720p. However, Nitro Classic users will have the option to upgrade their streams to 1080p, while standard Nitro users will have the ability to stream at 4K. Some users will begin getting access to Go Live beginning August the 15th, and the feature will be available to everyone over the course of the next two weeks. And so, we have yet another contender entering the live streaming space. Not exactly. So, the way that I see this entire tool is just that, a tool. I have heard some people that have become very popular streamers actually say that the reason they clicked Go Live was to show somebody else or a group of friends what they were doing on their game. Uh, I've seen it happen with World of Warcraft where somebody had a question about how to accomplish a goal in the game and they went ahead and just clicked Go Live just to show in a very simple, easy to understand way exactly what to do. Now the big question here is what exactly is this going to be used for? 
In my opinion, if you had a close group of friends on Discord, which many people do have groups they hang out with on the platform itself, uh, that was maybe curious about a game that you bought. Say, for instance, you had just picked up Wolfenstein Youngblood, and people were on the fence because generally the game is getting between a 5 and a 6 right now out of 10. Uh, you could say, hey man, go live real quick, play some of the game, and let's see what it's all about. And you could sit there and watch your friend, see if it's something you might be interested in, and then make a purchase decision based off of that gameplay. At least, that is one way that I see this being used in the future. Uh, so is it a cool feature? Is it something that's going to be used in a huge way? Probably not, but it is, as I said, a pretty cool feature. So if you do want the trial, go live again. It's going to be launching to everybody in the next couple of weeks and then rolling out in a strange tiered format. Uh, but the big question is, will people use it? I don't know, man. I don't really know. But you know what people are going to be excited about? No Man's Sky. Specifically, the brand new Beyond update, which will add 32 player support, powered bases, cooking, and alien milking, plus industrial base building and automated mining and crafting. So let's go ahead and break down what's going to be coming to the world of No Man's Sky, because again, the game has had a very, very rough life, but has improved greatly over the course of the last year. No Man's Sky Beyond will arrive in just a few days on August the 14th. We have known for a while now that VR is being added, and yesterday's trailer teased us with a few treats like the Nexus, a massive new social hub for the more expansive multiplayer features of No Man's Sky. Say goodbye to the days of four-player co-op, Beyond will support up to 32 players per session. There was also the glorious sight of players riding a variety of alien creatures around like mounts, but that's not all you will be able to do with alien creatures. You can also milk them. Okay, Luke Skywalker. Yup, get Luke Skywalker on the phone because you will soon have access to a bunch of weird alien milk. I don't know how the process of milking a tamed alien creature will work, but I guess what it might be used for could be cooking and recipes are also going to be coming to No Man's Sky. If you have always wanted to be a space farmer and space chef, you are about to get your chance. If your interests are more keyed towards construction than milking alien monsters, there's still good news. Beyond will bring more complex base building, including electrical systems for power, and of course a power grid was glimpsed briefly in the trailer. An industrial base building for automated resource gathering and mass production of crafted items, a little touch of Factorio is going to be coming to No Man's Sky. With multiplayer expanding to support 32 players, the Nexus is will act, a little bit of a typo there in the world of PC Gamer, will act as a player hub and meeting point where you can interact with other astronauts, show off your ship, gear, and emotes, go shopping, and put together crews for multiplayer missions. When I tried out VR back in March, the author says, which I called a perfect match for No Man's Sky, I noticed alien NPCs actually walking around the space stations instead of just standing and sitting in one spot. It made the stations feel more lively and active, and beyond will bring further enhancements to our alien friends with added depth for the language system. No word on if you can milk the Viking, but I wouldn't advise trying it. Recipes and cooking, taming and riding, and milking creatures, automated factories, 32-person multiplayer, VR, for these reasons and more beyond isn't just the biggest No Man's Sky update ever, it's also ushering in what Hello Games is calling No Man's Sky 2.0, and I don't think anyone can really argue with that designation. No Man's Sky has changed and grown a lot over the past three years, and while the core of resource management and exploration of the procedural universe is still intact, in many ways it is an altogether different game than it was at launch. Just like the rest of the updates that have appeared for No Man's Sky since 2016, Beyond is completely free, and of course they will update this article on PC Gamer when the notes are available for the patch itself. But my god, this game has come a long way. Of course, for those that don't know what happened with No Man's Sky, the game launched and basically uh, the shit hit the fan. 
Sean Murray and the team at Hello Games had a vision for the game that is being fulfilled today, but that was not quite ready whenever the game was being promoted. Uh, when the marketing campaign and the marketing machine really took hold, people had... I suppose, raised their expectations to a point that was completely and totally unachievable at launch for the team at Hello Games. Now, three years later, the game is finally becoming the game that people had wanted it to be, and that's essentially what I'm seeing from the community. So many people are chiming in and saying, hey, the game is now what No Man's Sky was originally meant to be. And that's very exciting because No Man's Sky was one of the most ambitious games of the past 10 years. The way that the world has been built, the procedural elements, the exploration, uh, the limitless potential of entertainment in the world of No Man's Sky is unmatched. Uh, I was playing the game on PS4 last year when the huge update rolled out. Very fun game, one that's totally worth checking out. And of course, beyond adding even more content to the game if you did want to dive in and give it a shot. Uh, but again, No Man's Sky is out right now on... PS4, Xbox One, I believe. Let's see. No Man's Sky, Xbox One. Let's see what we've got. Uh, yes, No Man's Sky is out on Xbox One. I couldn't remember because I know it launched as a PS4 exclusive, if I remember correctly. Uh, but regardless, the game is out on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. And I also saw rumors that Sean Murray is wanting to bring the game to the Nintendo Switch and is curious as to whether or not it could work. With cloud-based technology, anything is possible in 2019, but still, the word doubtful does come to mind just because, hey, that's a lot of worlds to actually include in a Switch game. But nothing's impossible. Nothing is impossible. Specifically, what proves nothing is impossible is that Tide the Tasmanian Tiger on the Switch has been fully funded on Kickstarter. Okay, then. In just three days, a Kickstarter created by Chrome Studios to bring Tide the Tasmanian Tiger to the Nintendo Switch has exceeded its funding goal. The Australian-themed platformer from Down Under was EA's answer to the roughly uh, tons and millions and thousands. I was exaggerating a bit there, but, of course, the many, many games of the Naughty's platformer craze, releasing originally on Xbox, PS2, and GameCube back in 2002. It even had an HD remaster on Steam back in 2016. And of course, the Kickstarter campaign has raised over $56,000 from 1,329 backers, and with 27 days left to obtain funding, the studio is looking to fulfill its stretch goals. At $75,000, Chrome will add a new feature enabling players to use different skins for the titular character, although I wouldn't really call them skins, they are literally just different colored shorts. Other stretch goals revolve around Tide the Tasmanian Tiger Facebook page, getting a certain amount of followers, but the rest of the monetary goals have yet to be announced. This game won't be the first in the series to reach a Nintendo console, as the second, third, and fourth tie games were all released on the Game Boy Advance. Perhaps with the popularity of the first game's Kickstarter, we could see its sequels making a comeback as well. With the recent re-releases of Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, there is clearly a market for the nostalgia-fueled remasters. I can't help but wonder, the author says, what fan-favorite platformer will emerge next? And so, this is something I didn't really expect. Of course, we have seen this for the past couple of days, where Tide the Tasmanian Tiger is supposedly going to be coming to the Nintendo Switch, but to see it funded fully in a matter of hours, it seems, is... A little bit unprecedented. Of course, we've seen this kind of thing happen uh, on the Kickstarter-based platforms, but to see it happen with Tide the Tasmanian Tiger uh, shows the power of nostalgia. Of course, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is a game that I actually played back in the day. Uh, it was this and... During the same kind of period, which was a very strange time in media, uh, I also played a lot of Tack and the Power of Juju, 
which was a show on Nickelodeon that was a bit subpar, kind of related to Jimmy Neutron, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it was a very strange show, and it made a strange game, but it was fun, so I played it. Uh, and that's kind of why I remember Tide the Tasmanian Tiger. That's what kind of defined uh, this period of my life and of my gaming habits. Uh, but to see it coming out on the Nintendo Switch... Oddly enough, pretty good fit in my opinion. Of course, as this article does say, the game came out on Steam back in 2016. It's been on sale a couple of times, uh, but it is something to definitely be on the lookout for if you are a fan of the classic platformers that, again, came out towards the beginning of the 2000s because, man, there were a lot of those platformers, and it looks like all of them have pretty much made their way to the modern consoles from Crash Bandicoot to Spyro and now Tide the Tasmanian Tiger. What is next? Jack and Daxter, you say? Those are out too. Those, those are out too. Not remastered, but of course brought forward because the games themselves already look good. But I could go for a remaster, but let's not get any ideas unless you want to. Uh, but that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. Of course, if you are brand new to the show, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. And again, this show is hosted live five days a week, Monday through Friday on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams, then taken down and put up on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, as well as podcast services around the world if you did want to check the show out live. And of course, audio, video formats, whatever you want to do, just check it out, man. It's a good show, uh, but I will be back Monday for a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend getting out there, enjoying some of that summer sunshine before the fall sets in, and we all recede to our living rooms and bedrooms to play video games until the wee hours of the morning. Uh, but until next time, you guys have a fantastic one. Peace. <laughs>